If you have your Bibles today, I wonder if you can turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to begin to read from verse 13. And it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the honor that we can open up our hearts and we can come boldly and unashamedly and unreservedly before your throne of grace. I thank you for the word of faith that would come to us today, that you said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And so I thank you today, God, that you would speak into every life, into every situation in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Family, today I want to just continue on the series, The Church Jesus is Coming Back For. And I might be on this series for quite a while. This is part two. And last week, I mentioned that when you look at the Bible right through from Genesis to Revelation, the overriding theme of the Bible is, first of all, the church and it's the church, and this is my first slide. The church of Jesus Christ is an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant one, all right? And I need you to know that the closest thing to the heart of God is His church, and that God has always had a church, whether it was under the pastoral guidance of Moses in the wilderness, which was then handed over to Joshua when they crossed the River Jordan, to when Jesus first speaks about the church, and only twice in the book of Matthew, to even when the apostles find themselves on the day of Pentecost. I want you to know that there was, has always been a church, and Jesus one day is coming back for his most prized possession, which is his church. And this church, which is Jesus' church, is an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant church. And I want that to firmly settle in your hearts today. I want you to embrace that wholeheartedly. You say, why, Pastor? Because I tell you why. No matter what it is that what you might be facing, no matter what you might be up against, no matter who is saying what, no matter who is doing what, that in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances, in everything, whether it is night or day, sunshine or raining, whether it is summer or winter, we, you and me as the church, are overcomers. You and I as the church are victorious. You and I as the church of Jesus Christ are triumphant. And I pray that you would never, ever, ever forget that. Do you know that Jesus single-handedly defeated death, hell, and the grave? 
And Satan might have very well bruised the heel of Jesus when he was tried and then savagely whipped and beaten and then nailed to a wooden cross. But I'm so glad the story doesn't end there because Jesus crushed the head of the serpent when three days later he was resurrected back to life by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to know that the Bible is very clear. It's very clear on how Jesus celebrated this victory. I wonder if you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And we're going to read that. And and this would be a great scripture for you to just spend time pondering over, meditating on. Verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, not some, but all trespasses, having wiped out the handwritings of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now I want you to focus on verse 15. It says there, having disarmed principalities and powers, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The King James Version in that verse says, and having spoiled principalities. New King James Version says disarmed, and the King James says spoiled. But either way, that word disarmed refers to the act of stripping one's garment off to the point of complete nakedness. All right, that's in your notes. That's what the word disarmed means. And that's why when you look at it in the message translation, Colossians 2 and 15, it says it like this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Hallelujah. So that means that Jesus thoroughly plundered the devil. That means that Jesus completely stripped principalities and powers and left them utterly naked and with nothing at their disposal to retaliate. Man, that's powerful. But guess what? Jesus didn't even stop there. Jesus rubbed this defeat in the devil's face by throwing the biggest party that the universe had ever seen. Let's look at that verse again in the King James Version. It says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over it. The New King James Version says, He made a public spectacle. So the King James says, made a show, and the New King James Version says, spectacle. So that brings us to our next slide, spectacle. The word spectacle means to display or expose something. And it's used in classical Greek writings to denote the display of captives and weaponries and trophies that were seized during invasions and conquests on foreign soil. In other words, once the war was won, the reigning emperor would return home and victoriously display and expose all the treasures, 
all the trophies, all the weaponry, and all the captives, the people that had been taken captives. And you know, this was a very humiliating thing for the defeated enemy. And this is exactly what Jesus did, family. When he was crucified and then three days later resurrected, he completely stripped the enemy bare to his core. And then Jesus proceeded to publicly display and, ex and expose every one of them. And then Colossians 2 and 15 in the New King James Version says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. He made a public spectacle. The word public there in your notes denotes boldness and confidence. Boldness and confidence. So in other words, what does that mean? That means that Jesus' victory was not a quiet affair. Jesus boldly, confidently, and loudly exposed and displayed this defeated foe to all of heaven's hosts. Hallelujah. Then it goes on to say in that same verse, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. That word triumphing actually is used to describe the emperor's triumphal parade upon his return home. And family, I want this to really be ingrained in your heart of hearts today. That this is exactly what Jesus single-handedly did. And the good news is that the same Jesus that conquered the, the enemy now lives on the inside of you and me by his Spirit. And that's why we can say what 1 John 4 and 4 says, the last part of that in the King James Version says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And all of this happened because of the cross. You see, the point I'm trying to make is that when Jesus came to this earth and called his disciples, it wasn't for some picnic. He didn't call them to, you know, for a quiet retreat into the peaceful nearby hills. He didn't call them so that they could spend each hour of every day in serene meditation. No, Rather, this is it. Jesus called his disciples to be soldiers fit for battle. Battle against two. Battle against the forces of darkness in the world. And the disciples were in the world, but they were not of the world. In other words, how does this relate to you and I? We might be living and wrapped up in our bodies of flesh. And I know that you are, and I know that I am as well. And we might be living amongst tremendous heartache and sorrow and depression and sickness and lack and abuse and violence and hatred and strife and on and on and on and on. And the fact that we are wrapped up in this body of flesh means that we are subject to weaknesses, means that we are subject to failures and inconsistencies. But... Because we have the resurrected one, the anointed one, Jesus, our King, our Lord, and our Savior, who lives on the inside of you and me, we partake of the same victories that took place on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. 
That's why we can say like Romans 8 and verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And we can say as well, Ephesians 3 and 20, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine, here it is, according to the power that works in you and me. Family, I want to encourage you. We have the same spirit and the same power that works in us right now, even though we are wrapped up in frail bodies. And we live in a fallen and dark world. And yet, we can remain unaffected by all of this. We are kept by the same Spirit that raised Christ and that now lives in us. We are kept and motivated by His love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost like liquid love. We are moved with compassion just like Jesus was for the lost and the despised and the rejected of society. We are as soldiers called to be bold and authoritative against the forces of darkness. And this brings me, family, to my next slide. Jesus called, it, called us to be lights shining in a dark place. And I don't know about you, but light, as far as I can remember, as far as I know, light has always been greater than darkness. If you go into a dark room and you flip the switch, instantaneously, immediately, light overwhelms darkness. There isn't a struggle. You don't have to wait for five minutes and there's this tussle going on between light and darkness. And then suddenly a judge appears and then they have to, you know, tally up the scorecards and find out who it is that wins. No, instantly when you flip the switch, light overwhelms the darkness and darkness is vanquished, right? And it's the same like that in the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he's telling you and I to be the same. You see, Jesus didn't save you and set you apart, fill you with the Spirit so that you could detach yourself from humanity, but rather that you can be in the midst of humanity, saving humanity, serving humanity, helping humanity, rescuing humanity, reaching out to humanity, and loving humanity. And all of this without ever, ever allowing the systems of the world to be a part of us. Amazingly, the first thing that Jesus did when he came from the wilderness, after being tempted for three, 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 three times, he was there 40 days and 40 nights, had been fasting. And, uh, and each and every one of those moments, let me tell you, Jesus defeated overwhelmingly the devil. But the first place that he goes to after his temptation is he goes to the synagogue, which would be the church. And we can see the love that Jesus had for humanity. And then he opens up the scroll in the book of Isaiah. And in Luke 4, verse 18, he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then immediately Jesus closed closes the scroll and proceeds to tell his audience that today that scripture was fulfilled in their hearing. And then from there, he casts out a devil from a demonized man, goes to Peter's house and, and rebukes the spirit of sickness from Peter's mom-in-law. And this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. People had never heard such teaching that was, that was backed up with such authority. And there was an outward demonstration of that which he was saying. Throughout the gospel, you read the three things that typified the ministry of Jesus. And, and it was this. This is my next slide. Jesus taught, Jesus preached, and Jesus healed the sick. And the Bible tells us that that's what he did, right? And healing the sick doesn't just mean that he healed their physical bodies, but he also healed their minds. He also healed their emotions. He also healed their souls. They couldn't get saved right there and then because Jesus had not died. But Jesus was preparing their hearts and getting them ready for when he was crucified and resurrected so that by that time they could get saved. He was drawn to the lost. Jesus was drawn to those who were cast out, rejected, and abandoned by others. And people in turn were drawn to Jesus. They followed him. Multitudes were drawn to him, just like a Pied Piper. And the Bible says this in 1 John 4, 17, that as he is, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. So we just got to look at Jesus. We got to follow him closely in the Gospels. We got to follow him closely in the book of Acts. Follow him closely as the apostles manifested the same ministry in the epistles. Because as he is, so are we too on this earth. And if you want to know what kind of church Jesus is coming back for, then simply follow the Bible. And look at the church. And we can look at the church in the, in the gospels. We can look at the church in the book of Acts. And we can look at the church when it comes to the epistles. And in every one of those instances, you will see the principle of the kingdom seed that is found. What principle seed is that, Pastor? It's found in Mark 4, 28. And it says this, For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. So Jesus is saying, if you want the crop, if you want the harvest, if you want the manifestation, there's first got to be the blade, then there's got to be the head, and then there's got to be the full grain in the head. And so when you look at these three principles here, you know, the blade, we see here the blade, the church manifested in the gospel. And then you see the head. Well, that's the church in the book of Acts. And then you see, followed by the full grain in the head, that is the church that we see depicted in the, in the epistles. And amazingly, when you see the church in the Gospels, you will see things like the kingdom, you will see things like the church mentioned there, and you will see things mentioned like the disciples. Then when you go into the book of Acts, 
which is the head part, you will see again the same three things. The kingdom, you will see the church, and you will see the disciples. But when you get to the, to, to the epistles, the only thing that you will see there is the kingdom and the church. You don't see the disciples. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because the disciples who came into the kingdom now find their place and function in the church. And this brings me to my next slide. God's purpose for his church has never, ever changed. God's mission for you and I has never changed. And until such time as Jesus comes back again, whenever that time is, what are we going to do? We're going to occupy and do business. We're going to occupy and advance his kingdom. And we well may be what 2 Corinthians 4 and 8 says. We might be hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We might be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We might be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We might be struck down, but we are never, ever destroyed. You know what, family? Most of the Bible characters, when you read the Bible, whoever did anything significant for the kingdom of God were people who went through some difficult and trying moments. When you think about Moses, who was called by God to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, and then they come to the Red Sea, and there's a mountain range on the right side, a mountain range on the left side. There's a whole bunch of uh, Egyptian army that are coming hot on their heels, and there they are facing the Red Sea. But in that crisis moment, God produced one of the greatest miracles ever. We think about Joshua. Now Moses had died, and it was up to, Mark, up to Joshua to take the people of Israel over the river Jordan. That Bible way was in full flood, and then only to get into the land of Canaan, the promised land. Yeah, it did flow with milk and honey, but you know what? There was a lot of ice in that land, a lot of giants that they still had to conquer, and they did it, right? You think about David, who was facing this um, MMA fighter of the, of the then known world. I mean, he was a martial art. I mean, he was a, a phenomenal, he was a combat warrior. And against all odds, David slew Goliath. Or you think about Ezekiel. The people of Israel had been taken hostage and captive by the Babylonians. And there they were in a foreign land and everybody is depressed and sad. But yet in that crisis moment, Ezekiel is by the river Chebar and the heavens open and he's having the revelation of his lifetime. Or you think about Paul, the greatest apostle that ever lived. He's on a ship on his way to Rome and the ship has a, a, suffers shipwreck and there he is almost destroyed but yet Paul was saved. Adversity, I have come to know, is a great place to forge strength and fortitude. And you and I are his kingdom expressed through his church here on the earth. I'm here to tell you that the church is not man's idea. The church is not some religious organization. Jesus told Simon Peter in Matthew 16, he said, well done, Peter. 
because you didn't get this because you studied at some fancy Bible school and you have a PhD degree and a doctorate degree. No, this was revealed to you by my Father. You got this by heaven. It was a heaven-sent revelation. And, uh, and the reason is because actually the church was birthed out of the heart of God and has always been in the heart and mind of God. And this brings me to my next slide, that Jesus' church is actually heaven sent. Peter, you got this revelation from heaven. And actually what you're saying is that my church is heaven sent. That means that you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, are backed up by all of heaven. And we have Jesus as our master builder. And he is busy building you and I. He is busy building the church. And I want to tell you, there is nothing. There is no one, not a single person, not a single queen, king, not a single president in this whole wide world who can stop the church of Jesus Christ. But you know what? The church is not only heaven sent. Jesus' church is also blood bought, blood bought. Look at what 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. So that means that you and I are blood-bought, not with the blood of animals, not with the blood of a chicken or a goat, not with the blood of humans, but with the blood of God. And I want you to know, family, it is blood that not only cleanses us, but it is blood that flows with the life of God. That's what the book of Leviticus tells us, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Jesus' blood not only cleanses us and forgives us and washes us, but it is the very life source we have a blood covenant, and in that blood covenant flows the life source of God himself. You know what? Jesus' church is not only heaven-sent and blood-bought, but Jesus' church is also spirit-filled. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It says there, Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You and I, family, are Spirit-filled. That means that we are endowed with a power that is not from this world, out of this world. That makes you and I invincible. That makes you and I unstoppable. That makes you and I unconquerable. That makes you and I unshakable. That makes you and I indestructible. Hallelujah. So we are heaven-sent, blood-bought, and spirit-filled. And that's what makes the church, you and I, an overcoming church, a victorious church, and a triumphant church. And that is the church that Jesus is coming back for. Amen.
There's a declaration right now coming up on your screen. Come on, and I want you, if you have to stand up, I want you to take a deep breath. Come on. You are alive, present, living in this day and age. What a glorious moment. It is your finest moment, your finest hour with COVID-19, without COVID-19. It don't make any matter. Amen. Because we are Jesus' church. So right now, that declaration is there. We're going to say it together. Here we go. Thank you, Father, for your word that has come to me today. I receive it. I believe it. And I am ready to act on it. I am a faith person that has a faith covenant with a faith God. And I am a believer and not a doubter. And all things are possible to them that believe. I am heaven sent. I am blood bought. I am spirit filled. And I am the church that one day Jesus is coming back for in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. I, I trust that you've been encouraged by that word, family. We're going to continue uh, next week again on this series. There's so much more that I want to share with you. But right now in that place that you're finding yourself, and it could be your home, maybe you're at your workplace, I don't know. And uh, I want to just pray for you today. Can I do that I know that this is, uh, you know, we're in the seventh week or so. I've lost count. I don't know what year it is. But I think it's the seventh week of this lockdown. And, and uh, you know, it's continuing. But we are, we are not a people that are without hope. We have hope. And I want to just pray for you right now. Whatever it is that you're up against, whatever it is that is trying to overwhelm you, I pray that this Word, this Word is designed just for you to bring faith back in your heart. Amen. So, Father, I just bring every person that is watching right now. Let this Word, I pray, rise up on the inside of them. Let it inspire faith. Let it bring hope right now, God. Even in people's lives where there has been almost like a despair and just like, how long is this thing going to be? I, I don't think I can continue like this any longer. God, I thank you for the spirit of endurance. I thank you that you give us a spiritual stamina. I thank you that we're not going to allow these things to try and suffocate us and try and distract us and try and, and get us to a place of hopelessness and where we begin to doubt and have unbelief in our hearts. No, in the name of Jesus, I pray this today, God, for encouragement that would come. I pray today that those who were weary and finding themselves to be overwhelmed by the pressures of this world, that right now, every shackle of darkness is broken, broken today. Right now, every spirit of lies right now is broken. We are part of your church, God, and we are heaven sent. We are blood bought and we are spirit filled in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad to be a part of Jesus' church. And being a part of Jesus' church, let me tell you, doesn't happen because you, 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 you become a member or you pay subscription fees or there's a questionnaire that you have to fill out, or you are kind of like automatically just somehow born into the church. No, being part of Jesus' church 
is, I believe, one of the greatest miracles that can ever happen to a human being. And let me just tell you that the devil doesn't want you to be a part of Jesus' church. He doesn't want you to belong to God's family. And he'll do everything to try and discredit you, try and make you believe that you are unfit, that you do not qualify, that you are unworthy, that you're not holy enough, that you're not righteous enough. And those are just lies from the enemy. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your and my place. Because God knew that there was nothing that we could do. There's nothing that we can bring to the table to negotiate our righteousness and our worthiness. So Jesus died in your and my stead, and He took all of our sins, all of our iniquities, and then God poured His wrath and punishment of Jesus. Jesus uh, completed in full what was required from the Father and then ascended into heaven. And so when God the Father looks at us, even though He knows all, all about us, even though He knows all the failures, all the wrong things we said, all the wrong things we thought about, He knows all about that. He still comes to you and is extending His hands out to you, ready to receive you and forgive you. And you see, it's not based on what you can do and how much you can say and how many prayers you can say and what kind of, and if you can maybe abstain from that food and that food and, and maybe just, uh, you know, put on some clothes that would make you look righteous. There's no clothes that can make you righteous. There's no amount of food and abstaining from foods that can make you righteous. The only thing that can make you righteous is believing on the finished work of Jesus. Believing on Jesus and what He did on the cross. That paid the price in full for all of our failures, all of our sin, every single one of them. So today, you might be outside of the family of God. You might not be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know. And you say, Pastor, you know what? After today, I want to be a part of Jesus' church. Would you pray for me? I would be overwhelmed. I would be, ex I would be thrilled to be able to pray for you today. Whoever you are watching from, whatever place you're watching from, in whatever kind of a mess that you might be finding yourself in, I believe right now that the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart. And you know, it's not based on what you can do. It's not based on how much money you can give or whatever it is. It's just simply based on the finished work of, of Christ. And you can come today with all of your unworthiness and all of your unrighteousness, and you can pray this simple prayer. Pray this after me, would you? Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Just as I am with all of my faults, all of my failures and all of my sin. Right now, I believe on you, Jesus, with my heart. I believe and with my mouth, I confess that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right now, right now, I am born again. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me and washes me, and I belong to you. I am your child. I belong to your church and your family, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. 
Praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you prayed that prayer. Now, if you did, could you just, uh, on, that, on those comments right now, just pop up your email because we would love to join you in our Zoom lounge. And we just want to pray with you and maybe walk through some things with you. Our heart is simply to help you, to care for you. So if you could just send us your email and then we'll invite you to a Zoom lounge where we can just, there are people standing by to pray with you, to encourage you, to inspire you. We're here to serve you, all right? And uh, we look forward to seeing you right now. Well, for all of you that have watched today, thank you so much. We're gonna continue with this next week. Until next time, God bless you and bye-bye.